Okay. So let's see. Okay, so firstly, the questions about Buddhism and monks and praying and meditating, etc. Um, so correct, Buddhism is not a religion. Some people take it as a religion, have made it into a religion, pray to the statue of the Buddha and stuff. But um, Buddhism is actually a, a practice of self-realization. And Buddhism is not a, right, so it's not a, a religion. It's not like a theistic. We're not praying to a god or, you know, trying to get something from something outside of us so much. It's more through your own realization, through your own efforts, through this work. Um, and the Buddha is the one that kind of opened the door to a lot of that. So there's a, a thankfulness, a gratefulness, an honor, and a respect to the Buddha as the one who showed the way. Um, I would, however, say that prayer, just you know, in terms of your question, prayer and meditation both exist in Buddhism. So to pray, you don't need a god to pray to. Um, I could even say to you, Johan, you know, I really pray that you have a great day today. I really pray that you'll meditate when we get home. You know? So you can really pray to any object. If a tiger is coming at you, you'd be like, oh, tiger, I really pray that you don't hurt me. You know? You can direct prayer to anything. Um, and prayer, from my understanding, but also through my own practice, Praying, it's actually just a way of directing the mind. When you pray for something, you're just directing the mind at something. Because if you get into it on a really deep level, we're all connected. Everything is connected. We are made up of universe material. There's not me and nature. There's not me and the universe around me. I am universe. It is all, if, if you were to take a very far away vantage point, everything you know, within the earth is called earth stuff. It's all nature. It's all part of the universe. It's all part of the solar system. Even the little pebbles, even the little people, all of it is part of the universe. So even then your prayers are part of the universe. So I found for myself that when I pray, it's almost like it activates in some way the energy around me or it somehow just calls things in through, through the vibration that I'm trying to pull in. Um, I think there's more going on than we normally see. I think there's more going on than we're aware of that we're, than what we're taught. But I don't think that, um, you know, like, what's God got to do with it kind of thing. Like, I don't necessarily think that you need to then make a jump to talk about something like a God. Um, if you do follow a theistic religion and then there's a being you pray to, that's fine. But there's also a kind of prayer which involves just your mind being directed at an object and creating those vibrations into your life. And I've made the experience in my life, I'm sure a lot of you have, that you really want something and then suddenly that thing appears or even you think of a friend that you want to speak to and suddenly they call or that sometimes just by directing your mind at something it simply opens that thing up and it comes to you yeah so directing our mind at things it's very powerful and why that works i think science western science anyway is still yet to kind of break that down to understand how that works um, but through our experiences we see that it does work and, um, you know, you'd also have to say, well, if that does work, then why, when I want to win the lottery, don't I win the lottery? Because I put a lot of prayer into that ticket and it doesn't work. 
And yeah, that's a good question, you know. That's a good question, right? So it, it seems on some levels that by sending our prayers out, it really has a resonance. It has an effect. It brings some in, something in. And then in some ways, you could pray all day and nothing happens. And why is that? Why do some things click and some don't? And there's a lot of different possible explanations I could give for that. Um, but those would actually just be assumptions. Yeah. So instead of saying how things are and how things aren't without actually knowing, I'll just simply say that I, from my own experience, have seen that by directing our mind at something, it does influence the results. And this, is, this part is scientifically proven. That um, you know, there was that experiment in Russia, I think in you know, 1923, and they, it's called the, I think it's the double slit experiment, and they were shining photons of light through a grate with a sensor on the other hand, and they were trying to see if light is a particle or a wave. So if you shine light on a grate and it's a particle, then the shadow on the other side will also just be a grate, right? Because it'll just be going in a straight line, the light. So if it looks like a grate on the shadow, then you know it's a particle because everything's moving straight. But if it's a wave, it creates something called an interference pattern where you'll see like lots of kind of bars and things and it'll kind of be distorted because it's moving like waves. So as it hits the bars, it'll kind of you know, go through these bars and then break up and then open up again. So it'll be this kind of weird, messed up pattern. So they, um, so they shot the light through it and then it created an interference pattern on the other side. And they said, oh, great, now we know light moves like a wave. It is a wave, it's not a particle. And then they said, now we're gonna set up a little sensor, a little kind of almost like a camera, if you will, a little sensor, to kind of really clearly see how the light moves from the grate as it's being shined, as it goes through the grate, what it looks like going through the grate to hit the wall. So they turned on the sensor, they shot it again, and then what appeared on the other side was a shadow of the grate, meaning that light then moved like a particle. And they're like, huh? And they turned off the sensor and they shot it again, and when they turned off the sensor, light again made the interference pattern that it's moving like a wave. And they turned on the sensor and they shot it, and then light was now moving like a particle. And they really tried to sit with this information and understand what this was saying. And the conclusion that they came to was that light is existing in probabilities. It's existing in probabilities. That's existing in all these places at once, right? But as soon as it's being observed, as soon as there's an observer, one of those realities manifests into the reality and it becomes a solid thing which would be a particle and this is also the basis for a lot of the understanding in quantum theory yeah that we say that things exist in a probability that that nothing is really fixed until there's an observer otherwise things move and this is a scientifically backed study that they've done and they've done other studies similarly and they've had kind of similar results so this idea that once there's an observer things kind of solidify into one reality, into one probability, um, is, is quite possibly the way that this universe works, the way that things work. So our mind, by sending our intention over into something, it can bring things in line. Um, and we can also feel other people. Have you ever been in an argument with somebody and you walk away and you're kind of angry, but you, could st you can still feel that other person's anger? Even though, you know what I mean? Like, even though you're not together, you can still feel like, oh God, that guy's still really angry at me. You know, you can still feel it almost like pulsing out of space towards you, right? That feeling. And 
When I did a three-month retreat in the monastery, I, at the end of every day, I did loving-kindness meditation, and I made a little map on the ground. Of I was sitting in Germany, and I kind of figured out with like a compass which way is north, south, east, and west. And then in north, I thought about all the people that I knew who were living north of where I was, and I wrote all their names down. And all the people then I thought of that were living to the east of where I was, I wrote their names down, all the people. So I, I compiled the list of all the people, you know, and west from there, it was like America, so I was like, oh, I know a lot of people over there, right? So I kind of wrote the names. At the end of every day, I would send my focus forward, and I would go through the list of names of the people living in that direction to the north, and I would wish these people well. I'd wish they would be free of any diseases, any troubles, any difficulties. I'd wish them happiness and freedom and love. And then I would go down to the east, and then I would make the same wish to everyone I know in that direction from where I'm sitting. May all those people be happy. May they all be free. You know, and I did this to all directions, and I did this every single night. And I could really start to feel um, a building of really beautiful energy. I really went to bed every night so blissful and like happy because I was like, oh, just sending love to people before I went to bed. And I started noticing some nights that I would send energy and, and intentions that way, and I would read somebody's name, and I would just feel, I don't think that person's there right now. Because I would send it, and it just something wouldn't feel right. And almost like as if maybe that person was traveling at that time, you know? I couldn't really quantify, you know, I couldn't see if it's true or not, but I just felt like, oh, interesting. But something started happening, which is really interesting, is that as I was doing that, some of these people that I was praying towards started coming and visiting the monastery. A man that was in Taiwan ended up just randomly coming to the monastery. One of my friends um, who was living in France, he ended up coming to the monastery. And different people that hadn't been to the monastery in years just started showing up, feeling that pull back just to come and to say hi and to see what was going on. And there's really something to be said about intentions. And if we set out intentions, if we set out positive, loving intentions, oftentimes those get picked up. They're kind of resonating into the field somehow. You know? And then and conversely, if we're kind of negatively minded and we're sending that out, it also somehow gets picked up. And it doesn't always get picked up. They don't always get picked up, but it feels like in some certain situations, it's almost like as if something's balancing on a scale and you could send one or the other energy and it'll kind of tip in that direction. Yeah, which is kind of why, you know, everybody that I sent these intentions out didn't come and visit the monastery. But a couple people that were just happened to be in a certain vulnerable space that were just opening up and asking for help suddenly just felt this come to the monastery and you'll, and you'll get love and you'll get support and you'll get what you need. So, um, so there is something about prayer. There is something about prayer, sending our intentions. Um, as you were saying before about wanting to be positive versus that mindset that gets negative. Um, that also comes with a lot of internal practice you know, when we realize often, okay, so, Johan, if you, if you came in this room and you sat down and you were like, Seth, your class stinks, okay, I would feel um, a tension in my body, okay, I would feel like my stomach got tight, my heart would beat fast, and then I would translate that feeling into an emotion called anger, I'd be angry. And then I'd look at, why do I feel angry? And then I'd look at the situation. Oh, because I just felt disrespected. 
Okay, so you say something, it creates a physical reaction in me that I lay a concept over called anger. Physical reaction plus concept, that's an, that's an emotion. Then I give my emotion a story. It's because Johann said this in this setting. That's called disrespect. So now it's attached to a storyline. Yeah. And then I think that Johann is a disrespectful person. And I don't want to be around disrespectful people. And then I want you out of my life. Yeah. So then I want to push away this thing. Okay. If you think about any war that's ever happened, that's pretty much it in a nutshell. Is that there's a feeling you get that's painful. You blame something on the outside of yourself for that feeling. And if I can destroy that thing, then I'll feel better. Yeah, this is every argument you've ever had with anybody, unfortunately. Yeah, it's that simple. When you can realize that, if someone, if Johan came in and said, your class stinks and I felt that tension, if I first just felt myself tense and I just took a breath and I relaxed that tension, and there is nothing physically, nothing on my sensational level that I was fighting against, I would more just be able to sit with him and be like, I'm sorry you think that way, you know? But as long as I feel that tension in my body, it's like this tightness, and it's like, Yo yeah, and it's Johann's fault that I feel this. It's your, now you're doing this to me. It's your fault that I feel this way, you know? And when I'm in that place that I really think other people are responsible for my well-being, I also get negative, I get blamey, I want to push people away. But on the other hand, the times that I really see, actually how I feel is my responsibility. You know, and I can set boundaries without having to be angry at somebody. Um, I was talking to Shannon about this actually, I think yesterday. Yeah, that I had an interaction with somebody and they were pretty rude to me. And I was like, you know, I can actually just communicate my boundaries to this person and not get angry. And they were like expecting a fight somehow. And I was like, I don't actually need to fight. I can just simply say. And, and on top of that, I, I kind of felt the situation. I was like, you know, what I could actually really do right now is say to this person, you know what? We're friends. I'm, we're, I'm your friend. Yeah, I'm not fighting you, I'm your friend. Yeah, and I'm here for you. Yeah, and what you just said, yeah, like that, that was rude, and I'm still here for you, and I still love you. To open my heart and to keep my heart open and to allow that person to, and all their stuff to come out and still be like, I'm not gonna fight you. I still love you and I'm still here for you. And it was this really amazing feeling where it was like, wow, I can, I can hold this situation in love. Um, I, I recently saw one of the, one of the men, and he, he works in Canadian government, he's a Sikh. I saw this video of him on Facebook, I forget his name. Maybe he's in charge of the, the security of the country or something. And he was at a rally, and this woman came up and she starts yelling, you people in our country, and you trying to pass your Sharia law and force all of us people. So she's, first of all, blaming him for being a Muslim, and he's a Sikh, which is not Muslim. It's a completely different place. You know, so real ignorance on this part. You know, and, but going after this guy and yelling and yelling. And, and he just stops, and he puts his hands up, and he says, we love you. It's okay. We love you. We love you. And she was like going, and he's like, 
I'm not fighting. This is what I'm talking about. We love you. It's okay. You're safe. It's fine. And it was this really amazing moment where you see this human being taking a higher ground and saying, it'd be easy to engage in that same level of this woman blaming you. And you'd be like, you stupid woman. I'm not even a Muslim. What are you talking about, you idiot? Get out of here. It'd be very easy to just push that back. But that's endless. You know, it creates an endless Israel and Palestine. It's just an endless cycle of you did this to me, so I did this back, eye for an eye, right? What is it? An eye for an eye, and then the whole world is blind, right? Because everyone's just doing the same thing back, and then everyone's guilty, and everyone's a victim. Yeah, and it just entrenches, entrenches, entrenches. You know, so you can also really just open up and love. And then the thing is also, if somebody's rude to me, I can open up and love and say, I expect an apology. You know, and I'm not expecting an apology because I need the apology. But you need to apologize. Because what you just did, that way of behaving, treating other human beings rudely is really harmful for yourself and for the world. So I'm going to hold you in love, but also hold up that reflection and say, you should apologize and you should really reconcile with how you're treating people because that's not okay. And this is, I think, the part that maybe you're missing when you were talking about this, is that you're allowed to open up and hold loving space and still set boundaries. Yeah, so it's not like, oh, I love you. Oh, you're, you must be suffering. Fuck that. Yeah, no way. Yeah, because everybody's suffering. Of course we're suffering. Everybody's suffering. But that's so much of a mind game. You know, oh, you must be suffering, right? A lot of spiritual people, that's their way of being compassionate. Oh, they must be suffering, so it's okay. No way. No way. Right? Everybody is suffering. What do you do with your suffering? Do you fight people with it? Do you turn that suffering into anger and aggression and blame? You can also use suffering and open up and be like, guys, I feel so sad today. I'm, so, I'm hurting. You could open up, guys, I feel so angry because I feel like I was mistreated. Yeah? You could say to somebody, in full love, I really can't be around you anymore, ever again, because you don't know how to treat people. And that would, I don't want that to hurt me again. Yeah? And also, that's not good for you to hurt people. So as long as you treat other human beings like this, I'm not going to have anything to do with you. And you could say that from a place of total love and openness with no anger, no hard feelings, no negative emotional residue, but still say no. Yeah, and this is a really hard one for people to realize, that, that no's are allowed. Yeah, this is like a whole boundary thing. You're allowed to say no with love. You're allowed to protect yourself with love, without anger, without aggression. Just say no. Because a no to somebody else is a yes to yourself, right? So you're allowed that. So kind of bringing this back into the last point that Johan was asking about, um, about what is the role of a monk in Buddhism and what, you know, what is this all about? So a monk is somebody who heard the teachings of the Buddha, heard that there's this really deep path of self-growth and self-learning. And it really needs your full attention, it needs your full energy to really, on the deepest, deepest, deepest levels, kind of break through all this stuff. That a monk is somebody that says, I will let go of my life, I renounce my job, my, my living situations, my wealth. I just renounce everything and I'm just gonna go and live simply and just meditate and work on myself. And they have robes and a bowl. They don't have anything, actually, no possessions. So life is very precarious. You have to make sure you get food. If it rains, you get wet. If it snows, you're cold. That there's really nothing separating you anymore from life. 
And then you're really forced to fully look at yourself and realize there's nobody to blame for anything but myself. You know, you really start to own everything and, and take responsibility and, and you have to go collect alms every day from people. So it, you're in this forced interaction every day where you have to go and your life is also dependent on other people, which allows them to also see you, to give you offerings, to even maybe ask questions. Yeah, to say like, look, like we're having trouble with our family. Oh, monk, is there anything you can do? Here's some food, right? So it, it kind of forced them to be community members because it would be super easy for a monk just to go off and live in the forest and fend for themselves and not have to deal with people. But the Buddha's like, no, 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 that's running away. Yeah, only when you're also dealing with people can you see where you're at because then you can really see like, am I practicing love? Am I practicing harmlessness? Am I, am I creating wisdom? You know, and also, am, can I... Can I spread that with? Can I teach that? Can I be an example? Can I embody that? Yeah, it's really easy for me to be sitting in my bedroom wishing well to all these people who I don't have to see. Yeah. But then I go downstairs and, you know, somebody calls me a name or doesn't hold the door for me or leaves a, a coffee spill on the ground and suddenly I'm angry at that person and I hate them. You know, it's like, oh, okay, I, I'm not as far along as I thought I was. Yeah, so... In Buddhism, the monk of a role, it's uh, the role of a monk. It's really, it, it's created for somebody to really fully take on that practice with no external kind of affairs. To, so it's like an extended retreat, <laughs> but it extends forever. Yeah, so it's really like I'm just taking a, a life retreat just to work on myself. Um, and And I'm still like, not completely satisfied about bridging these two things together, these two questions. Well, I have a question too, like, yeah. what if you truly believe you are putting love out there to people and they don't perceive what you're giving as that? Are, is their opinion valid? Is, are you wrong? Are you right? Do you get what I mean? Like, sure. And that all depends. Yeah, so there's a lot of people, so I was today with Shannon, right? And we were walking to her, um, her and her brother. They live like really next, like very close to each other. She has one dog, he has one dog. And we walked to the apartment and she's like, we have to be really quiet because we don't want the dog to hear us and be upset that we're not coming in to pet him, you know? And I said to her, I feel like I'm being controlled because you feel guilty because you think the dog's gonna feel hurt that we're not going in. And she's like, well, no, I care about him. And I said, yeah, but care and guilt aren't the same thing. And these are like, this is like when things really, because my family also, like, we used a lot of guilt in place of care. A lot of families do this, right? If you don't come to, like, a family gathering, everyone tries to guilt you. Yeah, that you're, you're guilted into fulfilling your role in a family, or else you're a bad mother, a bad son, a bad partner. That people like to guilt, to control people, to, to force them, to bend them, to follow their rules. Right? Society does this. Religions do this, right? Guilt, the tool of guilt to get people to do right what they should, right? That should word, what they should be doing. So it's very it's a very kind of fine thing to tease out, right? Because as a monk, I definitely had times where I thought like I am the most loving, open person in the world and I went around, you know. And the other monks and nuns would look at me and be like, What are you doing? You know, you're in some weird fantasy thing, you know. And it has to constantly be in check. Yeah, so you have to constantly take on the reflection from other people, look at your own genuine motivations, and give it back. If I really love you and care about you, 
Yeah, and I'm like, I'm here for you. You could tell me anything, and you'd be like, you're just trying to be a, an ego monk or something. You know, it's all, that's your, just your ego. You know, I know from, I really can feel in my heart. I'd be like, I, no, that's not true at all. I actually care. You know, I can feel it. And if you're like, that's just your ego, I'd be like, thank you for your opinion. Yeah, I can reflect on that later. But also in that moment that I'm being open and that you're, you know, defending that, I can very clearly feel, oh, there's, you don't trust, right? That there's an issue of distrust in there, that you're wounded, something happened. Yeah, and I can also see that and respect that. And I think when you're really open with love, you're really fully present with people, you feel exactly what's happening. Because if you kind of send like this open, unconditional love to people, you don't want anything from them except their happiness. You don't feel responsible for their happiness. Yeah, you just wish them well. Like just genuine, wholesome, like well-wishing, you know. And you can just send that out to people and you can feel as soon as it hits something. Yeah, you can just send that out and as soon as it hits something, you're like, oh, like that's, that's the place that they can't receive that yet. Yeah? Just because, though, you can send that out to people doesn't mean that you've cleaned up all of your shit either, right? For instance, right in this situation, sitting here in this round, it's really easy for me to look at you guys and really send you love and send you well wishes and really care about you and, you know. And then I can go home and I could see one of my parents and they could, you know, point a finger at me or criticize me for something or say this. And that would close up right away, you know. It'd be just to get triggered right back into that place. Like, oh, okay, so there's still parts of me that close off. There's still parts of me that are not yet able to fully hold that space. You know, where somebody's criticizing me or some, a, a certain person that I'm still holding a projection on for being, you know, my whole world or an important person. You know, to be able to hold that love and someone criticize you and to be like, I'm sorry you think that, but I'm still here and I still love you. You know, and it's, it sometimes maybe gets to that point where there's no such thing as right or wrong. It's not like either person is necessarily right. It's almost like nobody really knows what's happening inside of anybody else, for sure. But you can be more or less aware of what you're doing. So all you can really do from your end is you try your best. All you can do from your end is really kind of open up and be present and give. and. You can take feedback, you can let it in, yeah, and, and look and say, is that true or not? Um, but ultimately, yeah, you for yourself will know. And it's a, it's a process that needs to be refined over time as well. Because a lot of times, right, we start off thinking that guilt is love. And then sometimes we think responsibility. I'm responsible to somebody. I have a role to fulfill, yeah. And sometimes, right, tough love, but sometimes we're a little bit too tough. Yeah, if I push somebody, even though they're crying and I'm angry, but that's love, because eventually they're going to start doing the right thing, right? We think that's love. Yeah, when I worked with horses, a horse pushed me over and I got angry, so I kind of went to push the horse, and the horse trainer's like, it doesn't help. Your anger is not going to change the situation. Your anger will not teach that horse anything. Yeah? And then I realized, oh, okay, what I thought was teaching the horse a lesson was actually payback. So you push me, I'm going to put my anger on you, I'm going to push you back. Oh, okay, that actually wasn't. 
Yeah, so it's, it's, there's a lot of learning to be had about what is love, what is not love, what is helpful, what is not helpful. Yeah, and that just happens over time through practice, through trying it, you know. Um, and I guess just to tie it in with the last part that Johan asked about the role of meditation in all of this. So, inside of us, um, and this isn't the truth of the situation, I'm just going to say this as kind of like a, an, like a simile, a, a way of understanding. This isn't the ultimate reality, this is a way of understanding. So, a way of understanding. So, understand, imagine that there's a sun inside of you. And that sun is the light of awareness. Okay? So it's like there's this light that shines on things. And so it can see things. And that light has awareness, but also comprehension. So when I say that, for instance, right now, take your eyesight and shine your light of awareness here, shine your awareness, send your attention to this water bottle. So one thing, it's the awareness itself that comes to this, but simultaneously you comprehend this object, effortlessly. You send your awareness to that and you go, oh, water bottle. You just know, there's a knowing embedded in the awareness, they, they're working together. Do you see that? Can you see those two qualities existing? When you send your attention to something, you both see it and you cognize it together. Okay, so the awareness and the cognition. Okay, so it's like a flashlight and the flashlight shines on something. This is like what mindfulness is, is our awareness is a light. And by mindfulness, it's like we're, de we're deciding what to shine that light on. Yeah, so I'm mindful of my breath. So it's like I'm shining the flashlight on my breath. Yeah. I'm mindful of the people in this room, so I'm shining the light on the people. But awareness, it's more than just taking in the raw sensory information. There's also a cognition. You also know. I look at you and I know you. I've met you before. I know your name. A lot of these things are just present through just looking at you. There's a cognition that comes with it, okay? So that's kind of this basic thing inside of us. There's an awareness with a cognition. Yeah, and then what can it be aware of? What can it cognize? Our body, yeah, our physical body, the sensations in that body, these bodily sensations, thoughts, feelings, yeah, so the internal world, so to say. And then it can also cognize the external through our sense organs, right? So our awareness can either, and this is how this is the totality of the human experience. The totality of the human experience, everything that you possibly can experience on this earth, it's either something external through your senses, or it's your own body sensations, which could also actually be called the body sense, the sense, right? Like your eyes see, your body feels. So all of your actual feelings could just be called one of the senses as well. Yeah. So everything that the body through the senses receives, and then we have our, our mental, so our concepts, our thoughts, our memories, that whole world of, of mental phenomenon, if you will, all the stuff that comes up mentally. Yeah. And then all of the, what we could call maybe the feelings, yeah, which 
you know, could be called a connection between the, the feeling world and the conceptual world, right? Anger, it's a feeling, it's a tightness and a burning, plus the situational, why it's like that, and then I'm like, oh, that's anger. Yeah, but just for the heck of it, we'll say that those are different things. So again, the awareness can either be shined through the senses externally, it can be shined on thoughts, and it can be shined on feelings, and it can be shined on body sensations. There is nothing that you can experience that is not within that realm. Yeah. Everything is within those realms. That's all we have. We have an awareness, there's a light that's shining, and that light is shining on things. It can either shine on your thoughts, it could shine on your feelings, it could shine on your body, and it can shine outside. That's it. Your whole life up to this point has just been looking at those couple things. So what gets interesting is when you start to see how those things work together. And this is kind of what, this is again like kind of deeper level teaching, which feels to me even a little bit disjointed, but anyway, I'll just keep going. Because when you perceive a situation, that light, if you really watch, again, right? We have this interaction, Johan, you say my class stinks and all this, right? You leave. Next class, I'm sitting here. I see you come in, right? So my sight, external object, right? Comes into memory. Up, oh, that person's a threat because they made me feel bad. Danger, defense. My body tenses, tightens up. Then my mind starts racing. How, what, how do I treat this person? How do I protect myself? Anger, resentment come up in me. Then I watch you really closely. I start scanning you to see, are you gonna do something to me? Then, and it just kind of plays into this whole scenario, bouncing between external, sensory, listening, is he gonna talk bad about me to that person? What's he doing with his body? Is he being disrespectful to me still? Feeling, thinking, watching, listening, thinking, feeling, bouncing, 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 bouncing between these things. When we start practicing meditation though, instead of letting that process spin out of control as it always does, we start to be able to take the helm of that a little bit. And I see you walk in and I click into that defensive mode and I shine the, and my light shining in that, but it just stops there. And I say, wait, 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 wait. And I feel my stomach tightening and I relax my stomach. And I breathe. And then I decide to look at what am I feeling right now? So instead of looking at you, what's Johan doing? What's this? I look at my feeling. What is my feeling? Oh, I feel vulnerable. Oh, okay, I feel vulnerable. Okay, so what's Johan doing right now? Oh, actually nothing. Johan just walking into the room. I feel afraid. I feel, oh, okay, you feel vulnerable. So you start shining the light where you want it to go and start taking control and owning it. Oh, okay. I feel vulnerable. I feel afraid. Oh, okay. I don't want to be hurt. Oh, okay. Yeah, can Johan really hurt you though, Seth? Okay, yeah, I guess maybe not. So what's the problem actually, Seth? Yeah, well, I guess I just really, you know, I just really want to do a good job. And I really want people to like me, to, to enjoy their time here with me. I want to feel accepted. I want to feel loved. Oh, okay. So you want to do a good job and you want to feel loved and accepted. 
So this has nothing to do with Johan, does it? Actually, no. You know? And then suddenly everything just kind of opens up and relaxes. And then I can look at Johan and just be like, hey, Johan, welcome to class. Because I've totally removed it all from him and I've just brought it back inside. You know, and I've owned it and I've understood it. And then when I sit in somebody else's class and I see them looking around, I say, oh yeah, this, is, this, is, this resonates, I see, this is very similar. I see this person also just wants to, to do a good job. Yeah, and then suddenly, oh, that's called compassion. Suddenly you, you, you understand, oh, I, I know that situation. I can empathize with that, I've been there. And suddenly you see that person, they're going through it. You can then walk up to that person and say, hey man, you're doing a great job. And they'd be like, wow, good. I've been, I, was, I, was, I was nervous about that, thank you. you know? Suddenly you can really feel into other people like that too. So the practice of meditation ultimately, and, and there's much more, I mean, honestly, when you get into deep meditation, um, it really shifts your reality in some deep ways. Um, that's maybe another talk. If you go on my, you know, SoundCloud or iTunes talks, I have like 70 talks now. So one of those talks is probably about this. But it, it goes much deeper, and there's, there's definitely some deeper aspects to this meditation and really the places it can bring you. Um, but I really feel that for our intents and purposes, just for what I would call the average person, so people that aren't going on long-term meditation retreats and really, you know, drilling into the depths of consciousness and all this, just for our life, really practical for our life, just to start to be able to control that light, start to be able to really shine it where you want it to go, start to be the facilitator of your own internal processes. You know, otherwise it's just like that dog barking on the leash, right? You can't, yeah. But it's, it's that you're, you're starting to control that process. You know how to guide yourself to a place of healing, openness, understanding. You know how to defuse the bomb yourself. It's like Mission Impossible, right? You know, you know which wires to cut. Yeah. Otherwise, we are victims, but only to our own minds. Yeah, and that's why people feel like victims all the time. It's just because they don't know how to control their own minds. And the Buddha said, um, if you could summarize his teachings down into three sentences, it would be, do what is good, refrain from doing what is evil, and develop the mind. Yeah, so if there's something that's beneficial, that feels right in your heart, that feels beneficial, that's growth, that's about love, compassion, patience, kindness, gentleness, spaciousness, develop that. If it's things like hatred, ill will, um, revenge, jealousy, you know, you name it, yeah, work on bringing, lowering those and develop the mind, which is this. It's how do you do those things? That's through developing your own mind, through, through tilling your own garden, yeah. proactive. So for today's meditation, as we're sitting and breathing and relaxing, if you can drop into 
a peaceful, spacious space easily, then go for it, and I'll guide you there. If you find on any levels that you are resisting, that you're restless, that you're fighting something, that you're not content or peaceful, I would really invite you to kind of breathe that into your heart and really allow yourself to feel what's going on, to really invite your experiences in. Yeah, if you're restless, try breathing it in. Yeah. If you're bored, breathe in the boredom. Yeah, if there's anything that's off, just breathe it in. Let it become part of you. Let it come closer. And sometimes you realize that actually the only problem was that you were holding it away. Yeah. So we sit in a way that's relaxed. 